You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over kings. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Hello, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. We've got a great show for you. Our first guest is going to be Steve Ruddick. Steve is a poker writer with thousands of articles to his name. He is specialized these days on online poker. You can find him on Online Poker Report. He also tweets a lot. We're going to talk to him about what's going on with online poker all over the United States. And then we're going to talk to somebody I was eager to uh, talk to because I knew one of the products that he has produced. Uh, I visited the Mob Museum uh, with my mother back, uh, oh, half a year or so ago, and we will be having on as a guest Jeff Silver, who is the vice chairman of the board of the Mob Museum, to talk about how it got built, what it covers, uh, and the influence of the mob in Las Vegas. So stay tuned. We'll also have a great Mailbag segment, I'm sure, with my uh, producer, Dave Weishattle. So come back quickly, and we'll be here talking about poker. Make your game night the envy of all your friends and family. Play on a -a one-of-a-kind table. Play on a pro-caliber poker table. Pro-caliber tables are made with high-quality gaming suede and suited speed cloths. And with their Table Builder app, customers can create a table to accommodate any game. Select one of the in-stock designs from their site or imprint your own. And now you can get a free 600-count coin inlay chipset when you purchase a Pro-caliber poker table. Here's how. Use offer code HOCRADIO when you check out at ProCaliberPoker.com or when ordering by phone at 240-25-POKER. That's 240-257-6537. Remember, to get your free gift when ordering your poker table, use offer code HOCRADIO. That's H-O-C-R-A-D-I-O. Order by phone at 240-257-6537 or online at ProCaliberPoker.com. ProCaliber Poker Tables. Stop playing around and get that table you've been looking for. Something exciting is happening in New Jersey. People are cheering in Cherry Hill and cashing in chips, pumping fists in Fort Lee, and flopping full houses. Get the thrill and play on your laptop, tablet, or mobile at BorgataPoker.com. Texas Hold'em, daily tournaments, and -and sit-and-goes. Real money anywhere in New Jersey. The Borgata Hotel and Casino is a name you trust, so you can be sure that BorgataPoker.com is secure. And now with a $25 deposit, you can get a $20 bonus when you sign up for Borgata Poker at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Remember, you must be 21 and physically present in New Jersey to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Have you ever wanted something so bad that you do just about anything for it? Well, that's exactly how we feel about you. That's right. AdamandEve.com wants you so bad. We're giving you 10 free gifts with your first order. You heard me right. That's 10 free gifts to spice up your love life. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, an adventurous toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. That's 10 free gifts for you shy types who've never tried Adam and Eve before. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, a sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code BABE16 at checkout, and you'll get all 10 free gifts, including free shipping. That's offer code BABE16. That's B-A-B-E-16 at adamandeve.com. Midwest poker players now have a poker tour to call their own. The Mid-States Poker Tour. The Mid-States Poker Tour is traveling around the region now. Their next major event is coming up at the Tropicana Evansville in Evansville, Indiana, August 16th to the 24th. The Tropicana event has a guaranteed main event prize pool of $200,000, so don't be left out. Check out their website, msptpoker.com, for registration and additional tournament information. The Mid-States Poker Tour, a poker tour designed for poker players. 
You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. You're listening to the House of Cards. Is, is that good? Do, do I want that? Oh, yeah. You want that. Well, fantastic then. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. We are joined by a full-time poker writer who has written extensively in the industry and especially about online poker. His name is Steve Ruddick. Steve, are you there? Yes, I am. Well, Steve, I appreciate you coming on. Why don't you give our listeners a one-minute thumbnail sketch of your history and therefore your credentials as somebody in the industry? Um, basically I used to play poker and then I started a family and, uh, poker playing and family didn't work together for me. So I kind of transitioned into, uh, poker media writing stuff. And, uh, here I am today. Have you found as I have that, uh, poker writing opportunities have diminished over the last 10 or 15 years? I think it really depends on, um, like what part of poker you're into. I mean, um, Black Friday basically crushed everything. I lost a lot of um, the content work I was doing at that time, but it's picking up now with uh, the iGaming legislation and all that stuff in the U.S., so I see it's making a bit of a comeback now. Okay, well, give us a a good overview of exactly what players can do with regard to online poker play in the United States right now, going from where it's legal, where they can play for free, and, you know, those kind of rooms that you can play on that may not be officially legal, but you can still sign on to and somehow get your money on. Right. So there's three states that have legal online poker, which is Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware. Anybody in those states, you don't have to be a resident as long as you're within the borders, can log on and play for real money at uh, one of the designated sites, which are different in each state. And then, of course, there is the um, gray market, black market sites, which are still up and running. There's uh, not too many left. Uh, Bovada would be the biggest part of Bodog. And other than those three states, which most of even the um, black market sites have pulled out of now, so you won't even, if you're in New Jersey, Nevada, Delaware, you really can't even play on those sites. They've basically pulled up their states and said, said their goodbyes to those three states. So other states, yes, you can play on those. There's a couple other exceptions, like Washington State is pretty much online, poker-free. But for the most part, black market sites are available to everyone else. Okay, you mentioned that there were three different things. Those are two. Uh, do they? There used to be subscription sites that you could pay money and then have basically free gambling for the player, but you could win small prizes and the like. Are there any places still doing that? Yeah, there's a few. Um, a lot of those have gone gone the way of the dodo. Um, I believe WPT still has their site. There might be one or two others. Uh, they're not really that large. Okay, so tell us what's going on in the three states that do have legal intrastate Internet poker. Are they going gangbusters? Are they collapsing? Is it kind of holding their own? Are they going to close? What's your assessment? Um, it's, it's There was a lot of... Um, overhype at the beginning, like the numbers that like um, Chris Christie was planning on for New Jersey. He was thinking it was going to be a $1 billion a year industry the first year out, which was, you know, basically an unattainable goal. So it's come in way under early predictions. It's even come in under more conservative predictions by people in the industry. 
I wouldn't call it a failure. I wouldn't call it, you know, gangbusters or anything. It's been a little underwhelming, the performance. Um, Delaware and Nevada are kind of a different scenario just because there's such small player pools. Delaware's got about a million residents and Nevada has about 2.8 million. So there was never going to be a huge amount of liquidity on any of their sites. Um, they have joined together to make an interstate agreement where they're going to be pooling their players in the near future is the uh, timeline right now. Oh, so that if I live in Delaware, I can play on a site in Nevada? Yeah, you would still sign up to the Delaware site, and as long as that site was partnered with uh, another site in Nevada, you would be thrown into the player pool, kind of like the skin model of, like, iPoker Network or any of the uh, network sites on game, however it is. Basically, every no matter where you sign up, you're just thrown into the player pool with both states. So, so De- Delaware is run by 888Poker which also runs the WSOP.com website, and they're supposed to be launching a Treasure Island-branded website and an 888-branded website in Nevada soon. So that would make probably Delaware would partner with those sites, and those would be the player pool. You would have your Delaware players, and then you would have the WSOP.com, 888, and Treasure Island players from Nevada. Okay, when, when is that supposed to happen? Um, they just got approval in Nevada to run a ne- an interstate network, which would allow Treasure Island, WSOP.com, and 888 to pool their players in- interstate. Interstate, I'm sorry. And once that goes through, the general thinking is that the interstate agreement between Delaware and Nevada will kick in shortly thereafter. They were planning on a late summer launch of interstate. And it looks like it's pretty close to that timeline. Like, I'd be surprised if it wasn't going by September. Uh, Stay tuned, listeners. We'll be back after a brief break. Midwest poker players now have a poker tour to call their own. The Mid-States Poker Tour. The Mid-States Poker Tour is designed to cater directly to poker players. Great locations, deep stack tournaments, affordable buy-ins, and most importantly, large prize pools. This year, with over 20 events in nine states, the Mid-States Poker Tour provides an exciting opportunity for poker in one of the most underrated poker hotbeds in the country. Check out their website, msptpoker.com, for upcoming tournaments near you. The Mid-States Poker Tour. Finally, a poker tour designed for poker players. Are you still shopping the old-fashioned way? Well, then buzz on over to BZ.com. BZ is your number one online auction source for brand-name new items from companies like Apple, Sony, Canon, Dyson, Samsung, and more at discounts of 75 85 and 99% off retail. Go to BZ.com and use the offer code VIP and get three bids for the price of one. That's offer code VIP to get three bids for the price of one. Go to BZ.com, B-E-E-Z-I-D.com, BZ.com. This is the House of Cards. Let me tell you how the Internet screwed up poker, okay? When a guy sucks out on the river, on the Internet, you cannot take the guy out in the parking lot and you cannot break his f***ing knees. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. Well, listeners, we're talking to Steve Ruddick, who is a freelance and uh, very, very much published poker writer, especially about online poker. How does that not run afoul of UGEA, UIGEA, Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act, since it's interstate? Yeah, it's um, both states allow for it. So under Eugea, it's it's, um, worded that as long as it doesn't run afoul of the state law. 
So as long as it's not just going into, say, you know, Montana and allowing Montana residents to sign up on Nevada site, then it would be a violation. Um, it's basically the UGA the law is very vague in its wording, and there's really no consensus of how it applies to most of the online poker. So the um, the Nevada and Delaware governors both went ahead with it, and it looks like there will be interstate fairly soon. So isn't there a chance that some overly zealous right-wing UIGEA supporter will say, uh, our interpretation is that this runs afoul and we're going to look for an injunction to shut it down. You're allowed to do intrastate but not intrast- interstate compacts. Yeah, that would fall on the DOJ, which doesn't seem to be all that interested in online poker in the U.S. right now after their the reinterpretation of the Wire Act, which basically allowed for states to set up shop and launch their own. And they haven't said who about the agreement so far. So I, I would call that a long shot. I mean, you never know what's going to happen in 2016 when new administration or whatever, but Okay. Right now, it doesn't it doesn't appear to be the case. And you, like they always say, once the genie's out of the bottle, it's kind of hard to put it back in. So what do you see as the likely trajectory for online poker in the United States in general? Do you see an expansion of these networks state by state and then having them hooking up gradually? Do you see some maybe DOJ decision saying, well, now that we've thought about it, Online poker is okay, and we're not going to enforce uh, anything about poker. We'll just enforce it with regard to – what do you see as happening down the next three to five years? Yeah, it's, it's very fluid. Like, I could envision, like, three or four different scenarios playing out. Um, I don't expect any type of ban to pass, and I don't really expect any type of federal legislation that would just permit, like, online poker or online gambling – I see it going state by state, and the smaller states really have no choice but to pool their players. I mean, even a state New Jersey size, they're having struggles keeping up a a solid player base. I mean, you're looking at average cash game traffic throughout the whole state. All of their legal sites is like 300 to 400 players. So it's not like they're setting the world on fire with their liquidity. (laughs) So eventually they're probably going to join Delaware and Nevada and whatever other states come along. The only states like you might not see that happen with is like California, New York, states with very large populations to pull from. Okay, so if you were somebody who used to play poker in the United States and you moved to Canada so you could continue to play poker online, you're not packing your suitcases anytime soon to come back to the U.S., (laughs) No, I'm staying right where I am. <laughs> where do you live, by the way? Massachusetts. Oh, you do? Have yeah. we ever played together, Steve? Um, well, I don't think we've ever played together, but I do know of you. Actually, I'm looking at one of at your uh, winning seven-card stud book right now oh. <laughs> on my bookshelf. <laughs> I'm honored. Uh, I have a second one on No Limit Hold'em, but uh, it, we can talk off, off the air about where we've played. What, what part of the state are you in? Um. I live in uh, Milford. Oh, that was one of the potential sites for a casino, if I recall. Yeah. Yes, let, let me just uh, let me draw you out a little bit. Uh, were you for it or against it? Uh, for. I guess that makes sense. So was I, uh, and I'm I'm a little disappointed. What's your read of what's going to happen with our statewide referendum campaign on casino gambling? Yeah, that's a that's another like uh, almost toss up. Like right now, I give it like a 55-45 that it will stay. I'm leaning slightly towards it will stay. My my gut feeling is that if the Mass Gaming Commission can get the licenses handed out so that people know exactly where the casinos will be, there'll be less opposition because there's always that. I'm for casinos, but not in my backyard. Right. So if people understand where they're going to be and they know they're not going to be in their backyard, they're probably going to support it. But if it's still confused and people aren't sure where these casinos are going to end up, you might get a lot more 
um, opposition. I guess that makes sense, except none of these casinos will be cited anywhere that hasn't already voted in favor of having casino gambling in their backyard. Uh, now, it's true that depends on how you define backyard, so that if you live in the city of Boston that uh, didn't vote on whether to cite it in Revere, they may say, well, Revere is too close, we don't want it, but they would say the same thing about Everett, presumably, since they're you know right on the border. But yeah. my reading is, I, I hope you're right, I think it's going to come down to how well-organized the people that are opposed to casino gambling are, because what you have is a lot of people right now who don't really care. It's not in their backyard. They don't gamble. Uh, they don't really care. But you have at least a very intense core group of people who care enormously about having it develop because their jobs and their city's economic future depends on it. Springfield, all the people that are looking for this as the economic savior of Springfield are highly motivated to uh, have it develop. Similarly, Revere, highly motivated, or Everett, highly motivated. And I have a feeling if the anti-forces really organized, they could match that. But if they aren't really organized, you'll have only the motivated uh, yes people. Actually, it's no on the referendum question, but yes for casinos, turning out in huge numbers. And I think they will overwhelm the opposition. So it's an interesting question. I I, I definitely agree with that because I saw it firsthand here. There's a very, very motivated anti-gambling crowd, and they are very well organized. They are still in existence, even though Milford has turned the referendum down. They've turned into just a political organization here. They were called uh, Casino Free Milford, and they are super organized. Milford voted it down like 65-35. Right. It wasn't even close. And there was mainly that group. They just got out there. They had strong messaging. I didn't agree with most of their messaging. I thought they were misleading. But they were very well organized, and they really turned their their constituents out. So yeah. that is a concern that there is a strong – I don't know how, how it is in other areas, but the one in Milford was really well organized, really strong, and they raised a lot of money. Huh. Interesting. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I have one more technical question for you, Steve, as an uh, industry insider who covers this. Do you remember way back now, it seems, when Full Tilt, owned by PokerStars, which they don't even own it anymore, but they paid out claims from people that had money in Full Tilt uh, before Full Tilt went offline and before all this stuff came out about uh, them overextending themselves to their owners and not having enough money to pay claimants. You remember all that? Yeah. And then they had a process you could follow to get your money back? No. I'm wondering what percentage of the money that was held in accounts was actually paid back. Do you know? Um, so far? Yeah, so far. I don't I don't know the actual percentage. I think the amount paid back was like is closing in on a hundred million and I believe they owed about a hundred and fifty million to US players. So something so. like sixty five to seventy percent of the US owed funds was actually paid. That sounds about right. Because the reason so I'm far, asking yeah. is I just know that a lot of people that I've spoken to, like me, who had small amounts of money. I had 75 bucks still on them. I had fortunately gotten out a few thousand uh, right before the deadline just from yeah. withdrawing. I was very lucky. But a lot of people like me that had even a couple of hundred bucks said, nah, it's not worth it. And I bet they counted on that when they figured out what they would eventually have to pay out. And I just wondered how much they saved from people like me not wanting to go through what I found to be annoying red tape when I initially tried to sign on and take my money out. Yeah, I was in the same boat. I um, Actually, a friend in the U.K. called me up when it happened, when Black Friday was going on, before it broke. And he's like, hey, there's these weird notices up on full tilt. I logged in to my account, and I transferred him all my money. Yes, that's what I did. And yeah, he cashed it all for me and sent me a, a check. But I ended up, I think I had like 80, 90 bucks 
last half. So like I got some right back payments and stuff. So I basically in the same boat and I filed a claim just to see how it would go. And I didn't get my refund the first time. I got an email saying that I was good to go and all this. I didn't get, I'm not going to pursue it. I mean, it's, I'm not going to sit on the phone with somebody for four hours to try to see if I can get my 80 bucks back. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm of the same opinion as you is that they probably figure that they're going to make an extra 40, 50 million off of this by making the claims process as it is. Yep. It pissed me off, but not a whole lot because I figured eh, I'm lucky to have gotten out what I got out. I wonder how many people had two or 3000 and tried to get it out, got the initial, uh, we, uh, we got it and then you didn't get it. And then they just said, ah, screw it. I wonder how many people who had significant yeah. money. Well, there's no way to know, but, uh, it'd be interesting to find out. Uh, by the way, uh, Steve, if people want to read what you've written, where do they go to find you? Um, you can just hit me up on Twitter and I usually tweet out most of my articles on my Twitter, which is just at Steve Ruddick. And who are you writing for now? Um, I do some work for Bluff magazine. Um, I work for um, onlinepokerreport.com. Um, I have a column on nj.com about New Jersey online gambling. And um, I freelance out some other places. And Do you uh, do you play anymore? Uh, very rarely. I was actually down in Foxwoods a couple weeks ago, but not too much at a casino. I do play in a home game here and there, but Ah, I'd nah, like to meet you. Much. Maybe off air I can get your uh, email address and uh, we can hook up. I live in Roslindale, and I have a regular home game, and I go to Foxwoods and Mohegan Sun regularly and would just like to say hello in person. So maybe we yeah, can definitely. do that. Well, Steve, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, listeners, this was Steve Ruddick, who is a freelance and uh, very, very much published poker writer, especially about online poker. And uh, we hope to have you back on, Steve. Sounds good. I have fun. Okay. Take care. Our listeners, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Make your game night the envy of all your friends and family. Play on a one-of-a-kind table. Play on a pro-caliber poker table. Pro-caliber tables are made with high-quality gaming suede and suited speed cloths. And with their Table Builder app, customers can create a table to accommodate any game. Select one of the in-stock designs from their site or imprint your own. And now you can get a free 600-count coin inlay chipset when you purchase a pro-caliber poker table. Here's how. Use offer code HOC Radio when you check out at ProCaliberPoker.com or when ordering by phone at 240-25-POKER. That's 240-257-6537. Remember, to get your free gift when ordering your poker table, use offer code HOC Radio. That's H-O-C-R-A-D-I-O. Order by phone at 240-257-6537 or online at ProCaliberPoker.com. ProCaliber Poker Tables. Stop playing around and get that table you've been looking for. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need.
Hey, this is Dave Weishadol from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of August 18th, 2014. Even though it's still talking with potential buyers, the Revel Casino in Atlantic City announced it will be shutting its doors on September 2nd. The 47-story property was opened in 2012 and never turned a profit. With its closure, about 2,800 people will lose their jobs. Along with the soon-to-be-closed showboat in Trump Plaza, this accounts for nearly 20% of the workforce in Atlantic City casinos. Smokers can't smoke in Ohio casinos, so three Ohio casinos have decided to bring the gaming to the smokers. Cincinnati's Horseshoe and the Hollywood casinos in Toledo and Lawrenceburg want to install slot machines in the designated smoking areas while their gaming floors remain smoke-free. Ohio regulators are reviewing the proposals at press time. And finally, Nevada, Oregon, Montana, and Delaware can all breathe a sigh of relief since New Jersey will not be getting sports betting. Last week, Governor Chris Christie vetoed a bill to bypass the federal ban and legalize sports betting in Jersey casinos and racetracks. Christie felt that the bill tried to, quote, sidestep federal law. I'd give my opinion on the governor's action, but I need to use the bridges to get home to New Jersey. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow us on Twitter at HOC Radio. Are you still shopping the old-fashioned way? Well, then buzz on over to bzid.com. Bezid is your number one online auction source for brand name new items from companies like Apple, Sony, Canon, Dyson, Samsung, and more at discounts of 75, 85, and 99% off retail. Go to bezid.com and use the offer code VIP and get three bids for the price of one. That's offer code VIP to get three bids for the price of one. Go to bezid.com. B-E-E-Z-I-D.com. Bezid.com. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. Take the cards, big man. Show us how it's played. Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to House of Cards. I'm Ashley Adams. And if you listen to this show fairly regularly, you'll know that I am a regular visitor to Las Vegas, Nevada, Uh, And, in fact, have had opportunities to do a lot of things other than just play poker, which is, of course, my first passion. One of which was to visit uh, a great museum called the Mob Museum that I wouldn't say is a tribute to the mob in Las Vegas. But it's certainly a wonderful collection of uh, interesting exhibits about the mob and their history in that city. So we decided to have on somebody who is... Intimately familiar with this museum. In fact, he is the vice chairman of the board of the nonprofit organization known as the Mob Museum. His name is Jeff Silver. He's an esteemed attorney of long standing in Las Vegas, also a former regulator who has had experience with the casino industry for many, many years. And here he is. Jeff, are you there? I am, Ashley. Thank you. Well, we're happy to have you on, and uh, I hope you can shed some light on Las Vegas and this museum in particular. Tell us about the origins of the Mob Museum and your connection to it. The Mob Museum essentially was the brainchild of uh, former Mayor Oscar Goodman, who himself was a mob lawyer in town and uh, had had quite a reputation defending organized crime types. Um, next to the City Hall building was a vacant of uh, former post office and federal building that was in a state of disrepair and happened to be one of the few buildings in Las Vegas that uh, is on the National Register of Historical Places since we we blow up all of our hotels after a few years and and build (laughs) new ones on the the same spot. That's right. This was one of the few great buildings that were that was left as a legacy. So we took the the, the, uh, opportunity to receive the building as uh, a $1 grant from the Park Service uh, with the condition that we use it for some type of a charitable or museum-type purpose. And then Oscar Goodman decided that uh, the uh, Mob Museum might be a good idea because, of course, Las Vegas has always been identified with mob-related activities, and its origin certainly uh, comes from that uh, genre. So uh, that idea kind of uh, percolated for a while, and... uh, developed into something really worthwhile, as you indicated. Well, I I was in Las Vegas for my mother's birthday. It was my gift to her. She's not a gambler at all, as, in fact, many visitors to Las Vegas are not gamblers, or only very casually so. 
Uh, in fact, if I understand correctly, the amount of revenue per visitor is now more than 50% of it is not from gaming itself, but from ancillary uh, businesses in the uh, Las Vegas area. But in any event, I wanted to give her a tour of the city that did not include going to the gaming tables. I mean, I pointed out that they existed, but we did everything but gamble. And uh, one of the centerpieces of her time there was going to the Mob Museum, which I thought initially it'll be like a 20, 30-minute little thing through, and they'll have some pictures of old mobsters and maybe they'll have a couple of uh, short clips. But really, it was a a two-and-a-half to three-and-a-half-hour treasure trove of stuff. How did you assemble all all of the exhibits, and how long did it take for you to actually go from start to end of building that museum up? The museum itself uh, was a, a project in the making for a number of years. I mean, we we spent over $40 million in the uh, rehabilitation <laughs> of the building. Who was to know that we had to actually make the building uh, earthquake-proof and everything else? And uh, the building itself was used as a, uh, a Social Security office, which is rather a bland uh, use of a, such an esteemed uh, location. Uh, they t- they peeled back the sheetrock walls on the Social Security office and found this gorgeous courtroom with all of the filigree and all of the design features and so on of a of a truly remarkable place. And this is the the same courtroom in which uh, uh, the Kefauver hearings were held uh, back in the oh, wow. early 1950s, uh, talking about organized crime around the country. So they took this this uh, building and rehabbed it uh, with grants and so on, and. The end result was is that we had a, a marvelous place for which to uh, put our exhibits. But what type of exhibits would we put in there? We uh, retained the services of Dennis Berry, and you may remember that name from the Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., as well as the Rock and Roll Museum in Cleveland, Ohio, which is now a hotspot, I guess. Um, the uh, He and his wife and the Gallagher and Associates out of California uh, came up with a storyboard talking about the development of organized crime in this country and law enforcement's reaction to it. And we started to build uh, exhibits and a theme board based on that. And uh, that's why the museum is so interesting. If you walk in there and you're really in the middle of a movie, I know that you know, anytime I turn on the TV and pass through the Godfather movie, I just compelled to stop and watch the rest of it. It's just, it's just a story that is so fascinating to all of us. Yeah, I have a couple of questions, actually three questions about that. First of all, was there any concern in the development of the storyboard, so to speak, and in the exhibits themselves, that you would glorify a chapter of American history that should not be glorified but condemned? Well, I, I know that that was one of the major concerns that all of us who were uh, sitting on this board of uh, directors uh, thought about. And, and, and indeed, uh, when the Mob Museum opened, there were a number of judges that decided not to uh, to go to the opening party because they thought that they were some way uh, stamping their approval on organized crime. But as you know, the, the museum is really known as the National Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement. And the chairman of our board is Ellen Knowlton, who is the former special agent in charge of the FBI office here in Las Vegas. So we certainly had uh, respectable credentials in terms of our own management operations. And uh, we took very, very careful care uh, to make sure that uh, we didn't overemphasize the the glamour of organized crime to the exclusion of the role that was played by law enforcement. In fact, uh, some of the exhibits that we have are are really – a tribute to the mob busters, guys like uh, Elmer Iray from the uh, IRS and uh, Elliot Ness, of course, J. Edgar Hoover and others who uh, did so much to bring down the mob uh, in the various uh, cities that uh, we we highlight here. So uh, there, there certainly is an effort to balance the theme. Uh, the original theme of the, the museum was there are two sides to every story, and uh, we certainly give both elements of that in the Mob Museum when we tell our, our tales. Well, I can I can attest to the fact that you do, in fact, show a lot of the uh, law enforcement end of things, though one certainly leaves the museum with a better sense of the mob than of the people that uh, pursued them. Uh, for listeners who just tuned in, by the way, we're talking to Jeff Silver, who is the vice chairman of the board of what is commonly known as the Mob Museum. Uh, the, my second question along those lines is, did any of the families formerly known as the Mafia families, did any of them or their descendants contact you about 
you know, renting out the place for family to or for a, a group to come visit en masse? I mean, was there any of that that went on as far as you know? Not specifically for a family reunion, no pun intended, but it was certainly uh, the, the kind of thing that uh, allowed us to attract contributions, uh, donations of memorabilia from various descendants of people who were highlighted in the in the museum in one form or another. Uh, we, you know, we've got we've got artifacts from those individuals uh, that want to at least share a bit of the memories that they had. Uh, usually, the children of the uh, of the people that were involved, uh, wanting to to perpetuate at least the reputation and the uh, uh, the glory uh, of their parents. So, uh, did you have any opposition from? Uh, and I don't mean to be disparaging to any particular ethnic group, but did like an Italian American association uh, go after you for unfairly portraying an ethnic group? Was there any of that? Well, certainly there was a commentary by uh, various officials in in uh, organizations that are designed to protect the reputation of a certain ethnic group uh, from being besmirched. But, you know, when they when they came over and actually visited the museum, saw what we were doing, uh, the attitude comple- completely changed. Uh, they, they understood that this was a uh, an effort on our part to uh, at least perpetuate and memorialize uh, uh, an important part of Las Vegas's history and, in, in fact, the history of our country, uh, talking about things such as prohibition and and uh, the the rise and fall of organized crime in this country is an important story to be told, and it certainly is is one that's very compelling. I know from my own perspective, I I grew up here in Las Vegas in the 50s and 60s, and I saw you know organized crime involvement in the various hotels, and then I became a regulator as a member of the state's gaming control board, and we were embarking on a a, a quest to remove organized crime from our casino industry. And that included the fact that there were people being killed almost on a weekly basis in various cities around the country as they tussled for uh, control rights to uh, various properties in Las Vegas and various activities that were going on here. Uh, when I was on, on the control board, for example, uh, I had people that came uh, to see me one day and uh, uh, wanted to give me information about how skimming was going on at the, one of the hotels. And, and I took the information down and I said, I hope you weren't being followed over here. And the guy said, no, I was very careful. And uh, that was the last anyone saw of him. Uh, his car was found oh, at the geez. airport two weeks later and he hasn't been seen since. So you could see that the people that were involved in this, uh, they definitely played for keeps. Uh, absolutely, and I just want to reiterate that uh, this is a great museum. We have about a minute and a half left. I want to ask you something you may not know, but I am curious. Would you say the influence of the mob is 100% gone from Las Vegas? Are there any vestiges still left, and if so, in what ways? Well, I don't think there are any vestiges of the mob per se as we knew it and as, as it's characterized in the museum, but certainly we're in the process right now of cracking down on money laundering and uh, and bribery uh, illicit activities from around the world. Uh, this has definitely been a, a global problem, and uh, we had uh, you know arrests fairly recently about a group that set up in one of the hotels and was taking illegal wagers on a, a World Cup event, uh, and supposedly the individuals were involved with some association with a with the triad in in uh, China, so uh, we're seeing all kinds of of uh, ancillary activities that are not associated with hotels, uh, but in fact are are uh, still out there in attempting to take advantage of the casino industry here. I see. Well, give your website uh, to our listeners so people can read more about what you have to offer, your hours, and the like. Well, I, uh, the website is www.themobmuseum.org. And I would invite everybody who is going to be in Las Vegas uh, in, in the uh, late September time frame uh, to come and listen to, to one of our many uh, uh, programs that we have. We're talking about border insecurity and the Mexican cart- drug cartels and their threat uh, to America. That's going to happen on September 23rd, but we have these uh, periodically throughout the year, and it's a very interesting opportunity to, to learn more about uh, what's going on in the world in terms of, of uh, the criminal activities. Okay, I think that would be a great time to be out there. Also, the weather is much nicer toward the end of September than it is now in the middle of July when we're taping the show. I have, Actually, just one other question occurred to me. There is not a museum of similar proportion in Las Vegas dedicated to gambling. 
And I'm wondering if you, as somebody who's on the board of this incredibly successful mob museum, have heard anything, if there's been any talk about trying to get a museum that is dedicated to gambling and all of its different forms and aspects and the history of it in Las Vegas and around the world. Well, you know, Ashley, this might be something that you and I can team up on if you want to talk about it further. But uh, uh, you're right. We we don't have any uh, edifice itself that uh, is a tribute to it. But uh, I'm sure that that might be something as the gaming proliferates around the country that we might want to consider. Okay, fair enough. A good diplomatic answer from a diplomatic guy. Thank you, Jeff. We've appreciated having you on. My pleasure. Okay, listeners, we're going to be back after a quick break. Need to sell your house fast? We're Homevestors, the We Buy Ugly Houses people. You've seen our big yellow billboards with our caveman Ugg, but did you know that Homevestors is America's number one home buyer? At Homevestors, we can buy your house as is, pay you cash, and usually pay most of the closing costs, and we close fast. Call today for your no obligation consultation and get out of that ugly real estate situation. If your house needs repairs, you're ready to downsize. Tired of renters and those rental property repairs, retiring, experiencing a job transfer, inherited a property, or just need to sell your house fast. Do what thousands of satisfied Homevestor customers have done. Call Homevestors today for a no-obligation consultation at 866-I-WANT-UG. 866-I-WANT-UG. We'll close fast and pay cash. So what are you waiting for? Call Homevestors today. 866-I-WANT-UG. 866-I-WANT-UG. Something exciting is happening in New Jersey. People are cheering in Cherry Hill and cashing in chips, pumping fists in Fort Lee and flopping full houses. Get the thrill and play on your laptop, tablet, or mobile at BorgataPoker.com. Texas Hold'em, daily tournaments, and sit and goes. Real money anywhere in New Jersey. The Borgata Hotel and Casino is a name you trust, so you can be sure that BorgataPoker.com is secure. And now with a $25 deposit, you can get a $20 bonus when you sign up for Borgata Poker at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Remember, you must be 21 and physically present in New Jersey to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. Midwest poker players now have a poker tour to call their own. The Mid-States Poker Tour. The Mid-States Poker Tour is traveling around the region now. Their next major event is coming up at the Tropicana Evansville in Evansville, Indiana, August 16th to the 24th. The Tropicana event has a guaranteed main event prize pool of $200,000, so don't be left out. Check out their website, msptpoker.com, for registration and additional tournament information. The Mid-States Poker Tour, a poker tour designed for poker players. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at houseofcardsradio.com. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. Everybody is to leave here immediately. This cafe is closed until further notice. Clear the room at once. How can he close me up? On what ground? I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Everybody out at once.
Welcome back, listeners. You know, I never get tired of that clip from Casablanca. Um, it, you know, it's it just a wonderful thing with Claude Rains. Oh, it's classic. Uh, I, I love it. I love it. So, uh, welcome to House of Cards again. And uh, what do we have on our plate for this segment of Mailbag? Well, uh it all stems from a story I did last week on the gaming report, and I, I got a bunch of email on it, basically a bunch of shocked people when uh, when they heard the outcome of this story. So I'm going to set the scenario up for you. Set the scenario up for yes. me. You're in the middle of a casino. In the middle of a casino. You look down. I look down, and I see a $100 chip. A winning $200 uh, ticket. Okay. What do you do? Uh, let's see. If I'm at Foxwoods, I take the $200 ticket, and I go up to security, and I say, excuse me, sir, somebody appears to have dropped this $200 ticket. Is there any way to ascertain whose it is? Well, you're a better person than I am, because I would have done exactly what the person in this story did. Really? He found the ticket, and he cashed it. Oh I mean, I mean you know what? Yeah. oh my God! Yep. And what happened? He was charged with a crime. What's the crime? Get this one. This is in Pennsylvania: theft of mislaid property. So, if I found a cell phone and kept it, uh, apparently, this is what happened. The person who lost the ticket later on called the police and said, "You know, I lost my two hundred dollar ticket." And they went back and took a look at the cameras, and they found that this gentleman picked up the ticket, and cashed it. And later on, he was charged with theft of mislaid property. Well, By the way, this this was in Harris, Philadelphia, which is actually not in Philadelphia. It's in Chester. But right. It used to be called Harris, Harris Chester. Chester. But for marketing reasons. Well, you know, that's, it does raise some ethical questions that I have pondered. Um, I actually have some experience with stuff like that. Okay, great. Um, first of all, lest, any, lest anyone think I am more virtuous than I am, you talked about a ticket. I have found chips mm-hmm. in poker rooms. Okay. And um, <laughs> do you think there's a difference between those? Oh, or absolutely. Or because so? I assume that a ticket is identifiable. Okay. That one could determine whose card was in the machine, which evidently they did in Apparently, order to track yeah. it down. And I would think that it, it's traceable. A chip, well, here's what happened to me. I mean, I found $1 chips, $5 chips, and unless you absolutely know who dropped it, you just keep the damn chip. I mean, it's no big deal. I've also found $100 bills uh, and just kept, I mean, I count a $100 bill outside on the curb and I just kept it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I would, and I look around to see if there are any other $100 bills that maybe from a drug deal gone bad, you know, (laughs) flew away. But I have found wallets and I have found billfolds, and I have found envelopes with money in them. Wow, where did you go, money. man? I've, well, I found geez. one on the Long Island Railroad. I found a business-size envelope that had about $1,100 Whoa, in cash. Okay. And this was in the 1970s, and I kept the money. It, there was no identification, but I called the train, the LIRR information number, yeah. and I told them that I found an envelope with a considerable amount of money in it, and if somebody made a claim, I would be happy to talk to them to determine whether I thought that they were the rightful owner and to return it. And in fact, a woman called up, said it was all her Christmas money, and uh, we ended up delivering it to her, my friend and I, and uh, did not ask for any reward and were offered one but didn't take it. And when I found a wallet, I immediately returned it to the mm-hmm. owner. But when I found, I was at Foxwoods during the first year they opened, they had the World Poker Finals, which was their equivalent of the World Series of Poker. And during that, they had a lot of big cash games. And I saw a few players walking from one big cash game to another. Apparently, their game broke and they were consolidating tables. And somebody in this throng of two or three players dropped a green chip, a $25 chip, mm-hmm. on the felt in the poker room, on the carpet. And I saw it fall. And I walked over to it, and I picked it up, and I was going to be a hero and say, here's your $25 chip. Yeah. But then I realized I didn't realize whose it was, and I would have had to have said, so who dropped the $25 yeah. chip? And yeah. four hands would go up, and then you have it. So I just kept it. So, But if it was a, if it was 200 bucks and it was some way to identify who the owner was, I, I would absolutely try to. It's not mine. Yeah. yeah. Um, you wouldn't, I, though. You would keep I, it. You know, a couple emailers said, you know, if this guy was 
clumsy enough or didn't care enough to hold on to his $200 ticket, then serves him right. You know, finders keepers and something like that. So, um, you know, but a couple emailers also brought up a great point. And I want to ask you, because you've been to casinos around the country, around the world. Is there anything posted in the casinos that says you must return found tickets? No, not that no. I've seen. Well, shouldn't the, it be? If it's a crime, shouldn't it be posted? I don't know. Is there anything that says must return lost wallets? Yeah. yeah well. Is there anything that says um, must not reach into the pocket of the person <laughs> next to you and take their cash? Uh, I think some things are fairly self-evident. One is that if you find money, uh, if there's any way to trace it, and maybe, you know, the person wasn't, they were charged with the crime? Yep. Charged they were just crime. ordered to, well, maybe no, they no, did no, that no, as a no, strategy no. to no, get them No, 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 the, uh, the, the person offered to uh, pay the money back, and they said, no, it's too late. The state police of Pennsylvania <laughs> said, no, you're charged with this. You have to go to court. Wow. Well, so. I don't think that's right. I think that uh, you give a person a free pass first time. They didn't know it was an offense. They thought it was like finding money. Um, you know, I, I don't think I, I can't be too sympathetic with the courts in that one. I think you got to give somebody a free pass. Yeah, that sounds. Anything sounds else going on? Yeah, we actually got a question about the World Series from Jerry from Nixon, Nevada. Not sure where that is, but uh, it's in Nevada somewhere. I do not recognize any of the names at the final table. Is not having a big name at the final table good for poker? No, of course not. I mean, it's always better to have somebody that the casual player recognizes. But tell me the last one that we had a, ca- a player that a casual person would recognize. Couldn't remember. There you go. No. Um, I, for the, for the, at least the last five years, I don't think. Mizrahi was in one, was wasn't he? he? When, uh, last year or two years ago, I think there was one name and then... Uh, Tran, J.C. Tran, Tran yeah. was in one. But I don't think, frankly, I don't think that generated a ton of interest. You know, <laughs> oh, I got to go see how. I think the final table has been largely anticlimactic. Climac- climactic, yes. Anticlimax, yes. I, uh, and I don't get why the, and we'll talk to Seth Polanski yeah, about this. Yeah. I don't understand why there isn't more of an effort to get these guys out in public among the non-poker-playing public, mm-hmm. casual observer, to make personalities of them, maybe even to have a couple of preliminary matchups, maybe even like a they used to do stuff, uh, competitions of stars, uh, like right. different types of athletes would have some competition. I mean, they could do all yeah. sorts of interesting stuff. They could have them take intelligent tests to see who would score <laughs> highest or have them play uh, with with kids or with celebrities just to get their names better known. That's a great point. You know, they should do like a tour of the different poker rooms in different you know yeah. states and you, kind of like barnstorming across. Barnstorming. The, yeah, they play the local champs. You know, you can yeah. have the the final nine against the local nine. Yeah, that's and they a great could idea. Have yeah. a tournament. Right? You know, just for charity, raise money for charity. People, you back which horse you want. You have people bet on uh, which team you think would do better. Now, of course, how do you get? these guys who have lives and yeah. who do other things to commit to do that. Um, but on the other hand, maybe you only get three at an event. You don't have to have all of them. Like the uh, they used to do that with the old 50s bands. You'd have the coasters, and out of the actual original coasters, there are two of them <laughs> are actually authentic, and the rest are fill-ins. You could have the you know, November 9th, three of the November 9th go to Foxwoods. A couple will go yeah. to, you know, Horseshoe Hammond. You have a couple that go to Reno, one that goes down to Tampa, and they could do local events. I think it would be great. It but boosts ratings for the final table. I would think so, but I, they don't seem to care so much about ratings. Um, they care about the... I know ESPN does. <laughs> you'd think they yeah. would, but in any event, somebody to ask Seth Polanski when yep, we talk to sounds him. Sounds good. All right, listeners, that's the end of House of Cards. I know you wish there were more, but uh, you'll have to come back next week. Until then, goodbye and good luck.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.